0: whatever your goals may be listening to she said she said podcast is a smart efficient investment you can make in you i'm really glad you're here and i'm excited we're on this journey together hey friend welcome to she said she said podcast i am so glad you're here If you are celebrating or being celebrated today on Mother's Day, or maybe reflecting on how your own mom or the women in your life have had a big impact on you, I hope your day and your week are extra special. I also wanna give a big warm shout out to my own amazing mom, Sherilyn. Happy Mother's Day, mom. Thank you for being a constant source of encouragement and inspiration to me from day one. I love you. Today's conversation gives us another great dimension related to both influence and brand, and specifically the importance of trust, and the importance of establishing trust with our customer, our client, our audience, whomever you are trying to connect with or sell to. I love that this conversation comes right after our conversation with fashion executive and entrepreneur Sandra Campos last week in episode 192. Both of these episodes continue our collaboration series with the Southern Cootery. Now, if you've missed any part of this collaboration, I hope you'll go back and listen. We have featured some amazing women who are part of the Southern Sea Network. They've included fashion designer Leela Rose, business coach Sally Holder, designer Mignon Gavigan, Red Clay Hot Sauce CEO Molly Feening. Partake Food CEO Denise Woodard and Sandra Campos, who I just mentioned. The Southern Cootery, as I've mentioned on several past episodes, is a network of creative founders and entrepreneurs who are connecting and collaborating in incredibly unique ways to achieve business and personal success. I am so honored to be hosting this series, and I'm also honored to be part of the Southern Sea community. You know, sometimes it's hard to quantify the return on investment of an investment like this. But friend, I can honestly tell you that in my case, it's at least quadrupled and it continues to do so. You can learn more about the Southern Cootery via the show notes for this episode, and you can also find all of the conversations in this series there as well. Today, for the final episode in our series, we are joined by Morgan Hutchinson. Morgan is the founder and chief designer of Buru. Buru is a women's clothing line made primarily in her factory in Los Angeles, California. Together with her co-founder, business and life partner, her husband, Brett, they have built a brand that I personally am a huge fan of. Now, when I recommend things on this podcast, It's always because I've tried them or I've had some experience with them. And I think you'll find value either in the products or the women who are producing them or both and find some value from these women's stories and their perspectives. Morgan certainly falls in that category. I've been so excited to share this episode with you today. While Morgan's clothes and especially her fabrics are really wonderful, It's the thoughtful approach to creating something that is both very unique and that fills an important need that actually sets her apart. Now, as the mom of three young kids, Morgan's path into motherhood actually provided her the initial inspiration for the Buru brand. In fact, breastfeeding specifically inspired the initial designs but Morgan has continued to evolve the brand as her life and motherhood journey have evolved. And I am certainly grateful for that because I am well past the breastfeeding stage in my life, as many of you are as well. I often share some of my favorite guru pieces on my Instagram, at Laura Cox Kaplan. So be sure to follow along. And one little insider tip that I'll share with you Keep in mind that Morgan does limited production runs of certain fabrics, so if there's something you really love, you need to sign up and get alerts when new items are posted so that you won't miss anything, maybe something really special that your closet really needs. Morgan focuses on establishing a really high level of trust with her customer, and that essentially is the theme for today's conversation. You see that in her marketing efforts, especially on her Instagram and in her blog, and I think you'll feel that in her conversation with me today. There is also a level of vulnerability that Morgan shares with her customer and that she shares with me and ultimately with you as you listen to this conversation. In today's conversation, we talk about what creating that level of trust with her customer looks like from Morgan's perspective. We talk about how her past entrepreneurship efforts, including with Passport Panties, an earlier company uh, that she founded, how that informed the way that she and Brett created Buru. We talk about the considerations for funding her business and why the choice that she and Brett made to bootstrap has been an important factor for balancing family, work, and life. Friend, this is a really fascinating part of this conversation. And if you're trying to build a business like Morgan's, you won't want to miss that. One of the most important elements though, of today's conversation actually focuses on mental health and Morgan's struggle with bipolar disorder. May, as many of you know, is Mental Health Awareness Month and it's an important time to pause and to think about how we can increase our collective understanding of mental health and mental health challenges. Morgan is incredibly candid in our conversation, and it further underscores how she builds that level of trust with her customer, and also how strongly she feels about the importance of sharing her story to not only give others who are struggling hope, but also to help change the stigma associated with mental illness. I am incredibly grateful that Morgan opened up with us about her struggles today. She felt strongly about sharing this part of her journey and her story to help others who may be listening, and I'm really, really glad that she did. One thing that experts say is especially important related to the conversation about mental health is just that, conversation. Conversation, awareness, transparency, sunlight, and I can't think of a more thoughtful person to share her incredible journey. Friend, if you or someone you know is struggling with mental illness or mental health issues, I've included some helpful links in the show notes for this episode. So be sure to check those out and know most of all that you're not alone. Friend, here is my conversation with Buru founder, Morgan Hutchinson. Morgan, welcome to She Said, She Said. Well, thank you. I am so honored and thrilled to be here and chat with you today. Well, I'm so happy to have you. And as I mentioned before we started recording, I have become almost a cult follower of the brand and of you. You're an amazing representative of what you're trying to bring to life with this brand. So I'd love for you to talk a bit about what is Buru.
1: So Buru is a a women's clothing brand. We're based in downtown Los Angeles. Uh, The inspiration behind our company, and you'll hear in this um, chat we're going to have, we've had several evolutions, but the inspiration of it was me, myself, becoming a mother. Uh, I was 32 when I had our first. I'm a mom of three now, um, ranging from two to nine in in their ages. Mm -hmm. And when I first had Olive, she's our oldest, I realized how quickly Um, my fashion needs shifted, but also how quickly I felt left behind in the fashion world. Um, it seemed overnight that shopping in person was harder. Obviously, I had giant strollers, and you know, with your first, you carry way too much equipment. You know, you really only right. need a diaper and a pack of wipes, and you can. <laughs> right. You know, don't know that your first time around, and I also realized no one had talked about the needs of breastfeeding in particular. So, right. We um, we were living in China for eight months of my pregnancy with Olive. We moved back to the United States just before she was born. Um, so the name guru, actually means to breastfeed in mandarin now we are big believers in supporting moms no matter how they feed their children and actually we have a lot of customers who are not mothers at all right but the inspo was my journey into motherhood and new needs that i found and so when we first started the concept was to create a marketplace actually for Mothers to feel that we were curating um, collections of fashion and accessories that worked in their lives. So easy access to nurse, washable, elastic waist pockets. And we did that by carrying other ready to wear brands from designers we all know and love. And um, through a few years of that, we sort of learned that it was just more challenging. Wholesale was becoming more challenging um you know we'd expanded into about 40 different brands we were struggling to keep up with chasing sales um some of the dresses that started at 300 were all of a sudden 695 795 and Mm -hmm. we realized pretty quickly that element of it was an issue the other element was my husband who's also my business partner shared that our gross profit margin was 10 percent which (laughs) if you've ever had a business with product that's terrible
0: not really sustainable is it not sustainable
1: at all in fact just basically a giant slope down into failure right and with that um we realized we needed to make a shift but we knew we were on to something because Mm -hmm. we were gaining a following of women who really Wanted to see how I was styling things and see how I was living my life as me while also being a mom.
0: Yeah, take us a, a little bit deeper into the journey of evolving the company from a marketplace into a brand where you are the primary or exclusive designer at this point, right? You're the yes. you're the pr- your primary designer. Yes,
1: one hundred percent. And I often refer to myself as an accidental designer. <laughs> I. I was an interior design major. So I've always loved design and textiles. I'm still very textile driven. But when when he told me that number and we realized, okay, we have something here, how do we make it a sustainable business? That's when we decided we needed to be a brand. Because what we had discovered was, even though we had these amazing pieces from Love Shack Fancy and Rachel Comey and Ula Johnson, we couldn't brand ourselves and Shopbop was always going to have a friends and family sale (laughs) to price us out. So we decided let's, let's design a 12 piece capsule and see Mm -hmm. if people will buy Buru. Let's find that white space of a price point. We really felt like we were missing that hundred to $300 range where you feel special, but it's still exclusive and attainable. And so while I was pregnant with number two, Schaefer, he's our middle, I designed 12 piece capsule and we gathered an amazing group of women in Charleston and we did this fun photo shoot in a playground and with children all around. And it was super successful. And we sold out and um, we said, "Okay, this is it. Uh, How do we get from, you know, this teeny point A to, you know, the next B? And for us, that was to pack up and move our family. We were actually living in Salt Lake City at the time. We had gone there for an opportunity for my husband, which was not a fit. And we packed up, moved to Los Angeles, started increasing the designs, the collection, and then eventually we've built a factory here. So we are now 50% domestic production in our own factory and 50% still overseas at a small factory in Southern China um it's family owned and amazing and we've been there several times so we we really do care how it's made but we do like to continue to offer two different price points for our amazing customers
0: yeah well it's your your brand is so interesting to me because When I first became familiar with it which is not that long ago maybe six months or so ago um and I've ordered a number of different pieces now these are pieces that maybe were designed for a nursing mom one in particular it was very funny I bought um the black turtleneck dress which is so cute and it has a it's long and it has a ruffle at the bottom and you can wear it belted or you can wear it loose but I, as I was pulling it out and I put it on for the first time, I was like, "Wow, there's zippers on both sides and I'm like, well, and, and up the back." So it zips up the back and there's zippers on both sides. I'm like, "What the hell are all these zippers?" For? And it occurred to me I was probably not the demographic. However, it's a great looking dress and it's very forgiving and you can wear it with lots of different things. And so much so, sort of a long winded. Um, story to illustrate the fact that your designs work for women of all ages,
1: all ages, all phases of life. And I'm always telling people that we're a fashion first function surprise, mm. which obviously that was very true <laughs> in, your, in your case. Right. But I I find that I wanna design, I wanna wear pieces that I love and having nursed three children collective and been pregnant collectively for seven years of my life, I do feel I have a lot of firsthand experience that I'll never forget even as I age out of um, some of these needs. I find that there are so many beautiful styles that actually work for your body as a mom, but don't work for all the phases. Some of our best customers are second time moms actually because they know the drill. They know exactly what they need, but they don't want to look like they're in maternity clothes or nursing clothes. That was the whole issue for me. And and really, you know, we're not maternity. I'd say one of our biggest struggles when I say that I design for moms is that people immediately think maternity. And I know Mm you're a mother. Think how short the maternity phase is compared to motherhood. It lasts forever. And our bodies continue to change. I mean, this is a very... um, Honest thing, I'm gonna admit, I'm 40, about to be 42, and I'm starting. I don't know what it's called. Perio,
0: I'm gonna perimenopause. Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh honey. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I mean. (laughs) I don't know if this is okay to share on this, but I know of it's the it listeners. But, you know, I mean, my cycles are coming much faster and I'm hot all the time. <laughs> and I just was not prepared for that to happen. I've been doing a lot of reading about it, but I think, you know, we do a lot of cottons. We do a lot of pieces you can layer and take off lightweight jackets. And so I'm finding that even though I have finally phased out of the nursing phase, all of these styles are working for me in new phases of life and motherhood that I'm going through and that was the intention all along was to offer generational dressing and to buy investment pieces, things that are in your closet and work for you throughout this journey of motherhood and womanhood.
0: Yeah, one of the things that I think surprises me the most about the brand is the fact that the fabrics are amazing. They really are amazing. And yet the price point for the most part is pretty low. And you you do have different price points. But for the most part, it's very reasonable, very pocketbook friendly. And yet the fabrics are really, really outstanding. And so it's kind of an amazing balance that you've struck here. And it's you're you're doing limited quantities of things. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for those listening who may be looking for something interesting that you see on Instagram, you better hurry because Mm -hmm. (laughs) you'll miss your opportunity opportunity. Maybe talk a little bit about the philosophy behind having a limited run of pieces.
1: Yes. So for our domestic production that we do in our factory, we do a lot of repeat silhouettes in different textiles. As I mentioned earlier, I think my interior's background made me so textile driven. But when one of the main reasons that we wanted to start the factory here was to create more responsible manufacturing so we don't use the word sustainable because it's a pretty loose word and Mm -hmm. um it it's not actually that well defined to be honest so we say responsible because we use dead stock fabrics so those are existing fabrics for our domestic production so we're not adding we're not using more energy to create more fabric. We're finding things that have been ultimately left behind by designers. And in some cases are truly vintage fabrics. You know, they've reached an age period where you could call them that. (laughs) And because of that strategy, so not only is it responsible in terms of the environment and just trying to help the fashion cycle, which is rough, as we all know with fast fashion and the amount of, um, returns that just get dumped in dumpsters and, from those fast fashion companies but so it's responsible but also because it's dead stock you can buy them at a better price so what a designer once paid for that fabric to have it custom made for them or a company we can now buy that at a fraction of the price which allows us to offer these beautiful tailored shirt dresses in incredible fabrics at half the price that you might see something similar um and also we are direct to consumer the only wholesale accounts that we do are when we do an exclusive for someone Um, we don't want you to ever see the same guru piece on our site as you would see say on the sill or the avenue we have some new partners coming up um because that was one of the things that we thought was so broken when we were a marketplace ourselves was that competition and it works for other people it Mm -hmm. obviously as i mentioned earlier we couldn't find a way to make it work so we shifted gears but that's how we keep that price down is is are really those two things and then additionally um having the factory ourselves so we've eliminated the middleman there we don't have a contract manufacturer that's also taking a markup on it it is truly there are full-time employees and so that eliminates you know that charge up we can charge right. it exactly for their time versus it being charged for their time and then you know doubled so that the owner of the factory makes even more so that yeah that's another way
0: and this is a business that you and your husband have largely bootstrapped correct 100 percent
1: bootstrapped we've not wow. taken outside money Um, we own it 51% me, 49% him. So it is (laughs) female majority. And we are also female, um, really heavy in female employees. Um, though our head of production is a man and, um, also our, our cutter and sample makers. Um, I'm sorry, pattern maker are men, but the rest of the team other than Brett is female.
0: (laughs) That's awesome. I love that. I absolutely love that. Maybe talk a bit about just quickly why you made that determination, why that was important for you guys to bootstrap versus going out and getting private funding.
1: Absolutely. So I think um, my husband actually comes from private equity. He's um, was spent his career in finance, which is very helpful. And I just want to sidebar for any female starting their own business. Um, I'm not a dummy when it comes to business, but it is not my expertise. I think it's one reason, just one of the reasons we're a great team, but you have to find somebody who can do that for you and guide you because it is every bit as important as your idea, your talents, Um, they are literally hand in hand. And I just wanna make sure I get that in there (laughs) because he has been the reason that we could bootstrap. He's so creative with how we use our money, which buckets it goes into and, um, and how we scramble and make all of that work at times when, you know, you have huge inventory buys. I was um, texting with a friend this morning who has a business and it's a little younger than ours, she's doing so amazing, but she was asking me some questions and I just mentioned that we, you know, because our domestic production is through payroll, and our overseas production is cash payment. We cannot use any credit for our inventory. And she just responded with, "Oh my God, this is terrifying." <laughs> and then, you know, it really can be because they are huge um, swings. Right. So you have to be prepared. And he was, you know, we've bootstrapped. We do not come from money. I, I know that's a weird thing to say, but I think you know, in fashion, if you do a lot of digging, you'll find that some of these mm-hmm. brands come. You know, there's a lot of trust funds, which is amazing and great. I just say it to be an encouragement to someone who maybe doesn't have a trust fund, that it can be done, but you have to be scrappy. I mean, we still do a ton of our own photo shoots. We're very hands on. Um, We outsource when we absolutely have to. And we are slow to hire. We you know, we we push that limit a lot at the Southern sea, someone said, so who's your social media director? And I really found myself almost being embarrassed to say like, we don't have one, which I think actually is bizarre at our size. And it's something that we're working on, but for us, the production side has so been the focus and getting the product, um, perfect that. I guess what I'm saying is when you bootstrap, you can't do everything at once. And you have to set those expectations for yourself that it could be slower. But in the end, you have control of not just your business, but of your life. And that was so important for us. We want our kids to be with us. We want our kids to be involved. And if you're answering to investors who want you to grow 100x in five days because they want their payout, Some of those things are really impossible and we get this one life. And so for us, it, the bootstrapping was for that very reason. Now there have been some really hard days and tears and there's lots of stress and we feel the weight of the world on our shoulders a lot, but you would, if it was an investor's money also. So the way I look at that is that pressure is there, but When you just answer to each other, you know, and to your family, it just, it opens up your life to really be your own. And that is sustainable to me. One of my favorite quotes is that entrepreneurs don't fail, they quit or give up. And I think if I was um, answering to investors all the time, and if so much of our life was spent showing them financials and all of those things, I, I think I would burn out. I, I just yeah. know myself
0: well enough, so. I, I love that. I, love you know, that. I yeah, <laughs> I I I love I love that perspective. I think it's so. I mean, you're so honest in the way that you that you talk about that, and I think it's really important for people to understand that piece of your story and that piece of your journey. There were so many questions that I had that popped into my head. Uh, but first, I'd love for you to talk about where that scrappiness comes from. Where does that that instinct to take risk, even if it's hard and even if you're crying and even if you have to curl up in a ball occasionally to just get through it, where does that appetite for risk come from for you, do you think? It's so interesting you
1: ask this. And my mom and I have talked about it because she is incredibly risk adverse. Um, <laughs> and. So the scrappiness, I do attribute uh, some to growing up in a really small town where resources were slim pickings and you had to be creative and resourceful to get things done. Where did you grow up, Morgan? I grew up in Murray, Kentucky. There is a university there. I I didn't go to school there, but um, it's a neat town, but it is in the middle of nowhere. It's two hours away from an airport. It's not on an interstate. Wow. Um, It was an hour... Just to, like, where there would have been a mall. Nothing. Yeah. I can actually imagine shopping in a mall
0: lately. But I mean, when I was little, that was a big deal. And I, I grew up in a very similar in a very similar environment, probably even smaller than where you grew up. I grew up in a place called Rising Star, which is in Texas. But it was also an hour from the mall, thirty minutes from the Walmart or the big grocery store, all those sorts of things. So I that, completely relate. Yes, that relate is story. That is
1: even smaller. Um, But so I think that that helped to make me scrappy. You know, you just couldn't go and grab things, you know, and also growing up (laughs) pre-internet makes you a little, (laughs) that helps develop some scrappy skills. Um, I think the risk really comes in to play, if I'm just being 100% honest, in the moments in my life when people expected very little of me. Now, I'm not going to speak to my mother. She always encouraged, pushed, and was amazing in giving me that confidence to just, you know, spread my wings and fly, though I think she wishes that we still lived in Murray (laughs) with our kids. Um, But I think, you know, I had male math teachers who said to my mom, I don't know why she signed up for honors math. She should just be a cute cheerleader. Or – And those things, as silly as they sound, when you're being told that in the seventh and eighth grade, they stick with you. And I am very much a person who just in my core says, oh, I'll show you, buddy. You know, (laughs) Watch me ace calculus, even though I didn't really want to. It was more (laughs) of a, in spite of you, I will do this. And I think there's always been a little bit of that in me. And I think some of that small town girl wanting to see if you could keep up with, you know, city kids and and experience life differently than what you had seen and just wanting more um, for myself, you know, really wanting to go out there and do it. My mom tells stories about me asking, like, I always ask for custom business supplies for Christmas, like letterhead. stamps with the date. I mean, what a weird, she, she would just go to the local office supply store and order me all this weird stuff. I wanted files. And so I think some of that I think is just innate in you. I've just wanted a business. And, you know, it took me a while in my twenties. I had a laundry company with my two best friends, which was primarily wholesale driven direct to consumer was just being discussed sort of at the tail end of our experience. And I mean, I think, I think business ownership and entrepreneurialism has just always been at my core.
0: I love that. Let's talk a little bit about, you're talking about your earlier business, which was called Passport Panties, right? Mm -hmm. Maybe talk a bit about how that came to be and also how the experience has informed, in some respects, your experience at Buru. Oh my
1: goodness, 100%. I think that you should, whatever your experience is in life, be jotting down all the things, you know, whether you're a, in paper, you're making mental notes like what I learned with Passport Panties has, I think, has made Booroo possible. It's helped us to grow and and know when those, you know, see those roadblocks ahead of time. Passport Panties started on a cocktail napkin at the Carlisle Hotel, which is interesting because I also met my (laughs) husband at the Carlisle and our baby is named Carlisle, so special place for me. but with my two best friends like i said who also grew up across the street from me in murray kentucky who are very scrappy and amazing and they have they live in houston now they're identical twins and have an incredible company called bada boom that i'll i'll send you to later because it's incredible and you'll be a huge fan as well but we were in our 20s living in new york and um I guess I'm going to bring up my period again, which is not something I talk about on a daily basis. But <laughs> we uh, that day we had been shopping in Soho and I got my period. There used to be no bathrooms down there. You had to go and like buy a Coke from someone to let them use the bathroom. And I thought, gosh, I wish I would have just had a spare pair of panties. I would have gone into a dressing room, you know, while I was trying on and freshened up. And so we created these little travel kits that were, beautiful panties packaged in, in like chic like, faux croc passport covers, and they had a little towelette in there so you could freshen up, your luggage got lost, but something to keep in your purse for girls on the go. And we had early write-ups in Women's Wear Daily, which helped get us into Henry Bindles and Bergdorf's and Neiman Marcus eventually, and it was, like I said, completely wholesale. We dressed as vintage flight attendants. The sizes were window, middle, and aisle. Colors were (laughs) beverages you would be served in first class. It's very marketing, heavy marketing driven, Uh such a fun product. And then ultimately, um, you know, like I said, it was this wholesale market when 2008 hit and the financial crisis was happening and those stores were struggling. We saw the foot traffic at these markets go from jammed to like crickets Um, We knew we needed to make a shift and we started making a shift into shapewear, which I'll say to this day, some of the prettiest shapewear I've ever seen. Um, But our manufacturing partner, who was based in Thailand and actually bought 25% of the company, really um, was struggling with the financial crisis as well. You know, he was feeling so many of his brands, their orders had gone down and he just lost a little bit of... um, traction a little bit of faith in us when we were saying we had a purchase order from qvc which would have changed the game Wow! and they ask for this and it's amazing when you work with qvc what goes into it and what's required of you after the purchase order and he couldn't get all the samples done that they wanted they have to be like production quality samples and we missed our deadline and you get one shot and that's it and there were lots of tears over that and to this day none of us can watch that movie about joy who created yeah. the hangers <laughs> i was just thinking about that like oh my gosh we were so close and then but that wasn't <laughs> supposed to be our path for some reason and so what i learned from that specific takeaways for buru was i don't i didn't want to sell buru wholesale at least not in the traditional way and like i said we've had some really amazing partnerships doing exclusives and We're in the process of trying to buy a building down here to grow the factory three to four times. And um, my fingers are crossed. I know this is a podcast and you can't see me, but if that goes through, then we just have so many opportunities to do more exclusive collaborations with people and sort of shift the wholesale gear. But the other thing I learned goes back to that investment piece and what we thought was the perfect marriage of having our production associated with us in terms of owning 25% of us that they would have our best interest in mind actually ended up shutting us down because Mm -hmm. he had the control. We weren't just saying, no, give us our goods right now. We're a customer. He felt he had say in it. And um,
0: that's so interesting.
1: So those, those things that sound so good on paper Mm
0: -hmm. are probably
1: the ones that you need to spend the most time considering and making sure they're right for you and i know in the end it was what was right for my life and for the girls life i know we're not girls anymore but i'll forever call them (laughs) girls because we met when we were (laughs) three years old but i think that those are probably the two biggest takeaways um and then that investment part kind of leans on this as well is the control aspect of it so Right now, as I mentioned, that we're 50% our own factory, 50% imported for Buru. The 50% that is in control has saved us during COVID. Mm -hmm. I know it's contributed to our growth, and it's because of the control. Mm -hmm. We um, brought everything in-house. And if you've never produced clothing, I don't know that that actually means much, Mm -hmm. but I'll break it down in maybe three sentences. When you produce overseas, it's a one-stop shop. You give them your tech packs your designs the fabric they handle it they handle the cutting the grading the you know grading is when you go from size to size Mm -hmm. when you produce domestically traditionally it is all different people you select your fabrics that's one step you create the design you have a pattern maker who's separate from the person who grades it, who's separate from the person who does the markers, which is what's given to a cutter to lay out like giant paper doll patterns kind of. Mm-hmm. If you can mm-hmm. imagine that. So your cutter is separate and then your cut and then your sewing is separate. So imagine the organization that that takes and how many people you're relying on to hit your your deadlines. Well when you bring all of that in-house and you have your pattern maker, your grader, your cutter, all the things I just mentioned, when that's all in one, you can say, okay, we just sold these dresses for a pre-sale. This is our top priority. This is what, you know, this has got, here's the deadline, it's got to get out the door. And we know that it can because no one, no other company can come in and jump in front of us. Mm -hmm. Who's making, you know, 15,000 of something where we're making, you know, not 15,000,
0: but. That's so fascinating.
1: Yeah. That's so so fascinating. I wanna make sure that applies to other people's business, but just, I think we live in such an outsource world right now, Mm
0: -hmm.
1: which is exactly what some businesses need, but being able to evaluate that in your own business, do you need to outsource everything or what can you control? What can you bring in house and maybe bring in in house people to help you with it, but you might find that the control is more valuable than the flip side of that convenience of outsourcing. I guess yeah
0: yeah Yeah. oh my gosh that's so interesting i never i really never thought about it like that and i suspect a lot of people listening probably haven't either one of the things i'd love for you to talk about um as you i think mentioned earlier in the conversation the, the southern cootery this conversation is part of our collaborative series with the southern sea and so i'm really happy to have a chance to talk to you we've talked to a number of incredibly talented Uh, business founders and business owners that are part of this amazing um this this um, this amazing community um the theme for the for the southern sea this year has been blooming growing and evolving and one of the questions that i had for you as you talk about passport panties and now you talk about buru and the original inspiration for both of those businesses really came from what you were experiencing in your own life you were young and in your 20s when you created passport panties and you were a new mom when you were when you created buru maybe talk about how you think about the brand evolving and where you think it's likely to go as you continue to evolve in your personal journey 100 percent. so um, like i
1: said i believe once a mom always a mom so I know I'm going to be, I mean, obviously the goal is to get older, right? The alternative is not something that God I God really, willing.
0: Like. Yeah. <laughs> right.
1: Um, but it's funny you ask that because I was just thinking about it the other day because I used to joke when my knees get saggy, I'm not going to be in these photos anymore. Okay, so anyway, we were looking back through pictures in Mexico and I was like, "Uh oh, I think my time is coming. And I'm I'm not (laughs) serious about that, especially now, because I've realized, well, that's absolutely ridiculous, Morgan. And um, just, you know, a stupid thought to begin with. But it's just been a joke. But it has me thinking, you know, at what point does this shift? At what point is, you know, a new 30 year old mom looking at me and not realizing these clothes could be for her. But I think the the attitude of motherhood and dressing is, for me, is wear what you want, when you want, and BooRoo will be there to support you. And we're gonna make it washable for whatever phase you're in, whether that is the spit up phase or the sweating hot flash phase. <laughs> and I'm gonna keep- just talking about it and it, when it becomes my memories, you know, I'll, I'll be talking about it. But at that point, you know, there will be so many other faces of this brand. I'm still the face of the brand and still the customer, the our core customer, to be honest, because I did have kiddos so spread out and so much later. You know, my baby is the age of a lot of our newest customers first,
0: mm-hmm. but
1: that still keeps me in their, you know, in their world and so I can speak to it. And when I finally feel like maybe I can't, then I'll just be speaking to the next phase of our customer and we'll have someone who's speaking more to that. And a lot of the reasons that we do these collaborations is for that very reason. And finding who we collaborate with is filling those holes, if you will, of what I don't represent to our customer. Interesting. Yeah, I I love that. That that can be older than me. Obviously, Mm -hmm. younger than me is helpful. Um, Different size than me, different skin color than me. And those are really, you know, I love the collaborations because I find them fun and I love working with other women and like helping their ideas to come to life as well. Um, But for me, it's showing our customers different people In the clothes and and i think that will be our our evolution as we grow
0: yeah it's very integrated to into your social media marketing which i guess every great brand is doing and and you know presumably trying to do it really well you do an incredible job of telling that brand story and really bringing it to life but maybe talk about how you approach social media and your marketing and the collaboration piece with these other brands or these other influencers maybe talk a little bit about how that works and sort of your mindset behind it you already said you're looking for people that look different than you that maybe represent different aspects of the brand but maybe give us a little more about that that people might could have some takeaways
1: of course so i go with social media and i think this word is overused maybe i should have gotten a thesaurus and come up with a different one but it is very authentic for us. And um, I've been asked before, how do you make it so authentic? You know, how do you become authentic? And I always laugh a little bit inside when I get that question, because I think, oh, you're so far from it if you're asking me that. But this is the best example that I can really give. we definitely have photo shoots where we use professional photographers and we know that there's a balance between the number of selfies you post and sort of these aspirational images, right? So th- those are two very extremes. I say the bulk of what we do falls right in the middle and the pictures we take, not just for launches, but um, you know, just everyday life are taken in real moments. So for example, we were just on our spring break trip I actually wear our cotton Tegan skirts as cover-ups over our bathing suits. So on the way to the pool, with all three kids running down, there's 150 stairs to the pool at Kwik Smala, this amazing place. So 150 steps later, Brett was just behind me and was like, oh, let's just snap some going down, put your bag down because it looks... It didn't match. (laughs) But other than that, the picture was 100% authentic and taken on the way to the pool, you know, like five minutes spent just pausing. And so it's real. And I'd like to think that our customers and our followers feel that and see it. You know, I mean, of course, you have to take some that are planned, you know, when you have launches, but even those, our our kids are usually standing right there with me. Um, If they want to be in the picture, great. They're not forced. Usually Mm -hmm. you'll see, that's why there's only one in the picture and not all three, two of them have declined.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Just Just wait till they get to be teenagers. teenagers. Yeah, Yeah, you never know who's going to
1: like (laughs) be grabbed by a dum-dum, but they are, they're real photos. And so I think that our brand story is told because it's, it's my life and I know it's the life of so many of our customers. You know, I, I try to encourage our moms, like get in the picture. I have so few pictures with my mom or of her in general. And so I, I do try to encourage that. And I think if you like your outfit, you might be more willing to um, to take your
0: picture. <laughs> yeah, you know? I, I, I'm sure that there are a lot of women who are listening who are wondering how the heck they can teach their husband to take a decent photograph, myself included. <laughs> well, i tell you what. Brett my is husband very but...
1: <laughs> Brett is very good and has had lots of experience now, but there is um, a great app called Pick Tap Go. Mm. Um writing like it down P I C T A P G O. Okay. And it is really easy editing, cropping, um, and I mean nothing major, but enough where you can take a photo that was maybe like an eight and turn it into a 10 or a six turn it into an eight, just depending. <laughs> um, but it is our our social media is real. You know, they're yeah. um, and in, and that's when we see a lot of um, engagement, you know, is is when they're the most real. To be honest, uh, a selfie is still going to get more likes than a pretty picture.
0: Yeah. And when I mean
1: pretty picture, I mean, you know, more out in the life <laughs> with a pretty background. Yeah, so I, I think that realness is what speaks to our customers specifically.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love that. Um, i would love morgan you know talking about being authentic a really important part of your story and one that you and i just for the you know for the benefit of the listeners who are listening just so you know that i'm not springing this on morgan um a part of morgan's story is her struggle with mental health and she speaks very openly about this topic and because may is mental health awareness month We talked about in advance the fact that Morgan had these struggles and that she was willing to talk to us about that on the podcast today. So I am really grateful that you're willing to talk about that. Share a bit of your journey with us, Morgan. Of course.
1: Um, When I was 27, I was diagnosed um, with bipolar. Was lots of years of misdiagnosis and figuring out um, sort of what was really going on with me. What was happening at the time? a lot, huge swings. So big lows, um, lots of suicidal thoughts, which is something I still deal with on a weekly basis. Um, and it took me a long time to realize that that was not normal. I just assumed that everyone was doing that. And now I am aware they're not. Um, and then manias and the, if you're not familiar with bipolar, the manic portion of it, on the outside seems fantastic. You have tons of energy, you're accomplishing so much. A lot of the times you're more social, or at least this is my experience. Obviously Mm -hmm. it's different for everyone, but for me in particular, my family, I think in a manic phase, wouldn't think anything was wrong with me, but it's actually when I would be the most detrimental to myself and the most likely to act on those suicidal thoughts. And so I had, at 28 I was admitted into a mental institution and um after a suicide attempt and spent a week in a regular hospital and then was you know released into um a mental institution which was one of the most eye-opening experiences of my life and uh, amazing growth and understanding of how serious my disease was and how I would very likely live with it for the rest of my life but that it could be managed Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and i think another thing a lot of people don't know is that you can actually have remission periods i'm putting that in quotes for some reason but remission periods of it and that can be great and also really scary because Mm -hmm. it can sneak back up on you um i have to take medicine every day i'm sure Mm -hmm. i will forever it, it's not always the same. There are definitely times, you know, when your body's changing, it's been very challenging after the pregnancies, usually during the pregnancies and nursing, I'm okay. And then when that ends, it's a whole new round of medicine and experimenting. Um, but overall, I'm a very high functioning bipolar person. I have an incredible support. Um of my family and friends who check in on me and Brett is um, so understanding and constantly helpful and aware and that makes it possible if you're struggling if anyone listening is struggling with it your support system is every bit as important as your meds Mm. and that can also be you know your doctor and making sure that they're good and checking in on you but I think the the reason I talk about it openly is because I function and making sure that if someone gets that diagnosis, they don't spiral into a hole of, oh my gosh, life is over. Because in fact, for me, getting the diagnosis was a, a revelation. You know, it was, okay, I'm not, I'm not making this up. I am this is real and we can find ways to manage it. And I've done so much cognitive therapy training, which is every bit as helpful as the medicine. And it's a, it's something I deal with, just like someone with diabetes. I always say it's kind of like diabetes of the brain. You know, it mm-hmm. shouldn't be taboo it, it. And I think the more we talk about it, the less taboo it is, the more people will get help. They'll get help faster because they right. won't feel like there's a stigma against them.
0: So. Right, right. I, I am so I'm so grateful. I mean, you're such an inspiration on so many levels. Um, the fact that you're willing to talk about your journey and your struggles in such an authentic way, so that you can help other people and also make sure that they know um, they're not alone if they're struggling with these things. I will include some resources in the the show notes for this episode as well for anyone who may be listening who may be struggling as well, but. Thank you for sharing that, because it's such an important, important message, not just during Mental Health Awareness Month, but always. So thank you for for that. Oh, of course. Morgan, I'd love for you to talk about what influence means to you. As you know, that's a big theme for this podcast. Building and sustaining influence is really key to getting whatever you want out of your life. What does this topic of influence mean to you? So I love this question. Um, to me
1: in my life, I think influence sort of goes hand in hand with trust, right? If, if I'm personally influenced by someone, it's because I trust their opinion, their values. Um, so for me, if I've gained any influence doing this, I think it's because I have been honest and you asked about our marketing earlier. Our marketing has been very real. Um, I never want to pitch something to a mom and try to sell her a garment that I wouldn't wear in my daily life. And so I think when they see me walking the walk, not just talking the talk, um, you know, actually wearing a ball skirt to the grocery store, if that's what I want to wear that day, or if I'm going somewhere at night, and I don't have time to fiddle with changing, then I became a trustworthy source to them. They believed what I was telling them. And... I think that that's where your influence starts, you know? Um, And so then if you're a trustworthy person, then when you ask for things that you want, you know, A, you probably have proven influence. You probably have numbers you can share or whatever it is that you're asking for, the stats to sort of back up why you think you're worthy of getting what you're asking for. Um, But I think you also are more likable you know, if you, if, if you've been honest with people and you are sharing real things going on in your life, then you are believable and you can influence them in a positive way. I, I'll speak to something that has nothing to do with Buru or the clothes, but as we were posting pictures from our vacation, the DMs were just flooding in. Is this kid friendly? I'm going to do a whole recap on the place, but I was thinking it's, you know, I, it's a lot easier to answer those questions honestly when you're out there taking your three kids to a place that, by the way, I don't think is very kid-friendly. <laughs> <It was great. laughs> I mean, if you wanna take 150 stairs to the pool with your two-year-old, then it is kid-friendly
0: for you. It was it beautiful. Was for, it was it a was beautiful place. setting, yeah.
1: We had an absolute ball and we tend to take our kids to not so kid-friendly places and we take them in our buru bus all summer long. And I think that over the years, people have seen me do those things and so i've gained a spot a teeny tiny spot in their lives as being someone that they could look to for not just fashion advice but like oh okay how did you do that with your 3 kids and so it's a full circle story so if you want influence then you got to live it you have to yeah. you have to be be doing it um you know i always find it interesting when i see people selling you something that they don't own or didn't try. Isn't that an interesting thought? Right. So how, how does that play out? How does that feel real? You know, so everything that I don't wear anything, that's not guru. And I always get tickled on Instagram when I see like, Oh, where are your shoes from? I didn't design them, but I don't design our accessories. They, Uh I source them so that you can, we can be a one-stop shop for people. But I'm always like, Oh, it's buru because i don't wear anything else because to me that is being the most representative of our brand that i can possibly be and the most honest and therefore hopefully influential i suppose
0: i love that and it applies whether you're selling clothing or widgets or podcasts <laughs> or i mean it doesn't make any difference it's a message that applies no matter what i cannot Um, stop this interview until you talk about the BuRu bus, because we haven't talked about that. And I know a little bit about the BuRu bus, but just really quickly, what is that? Okay. So as I mentioned
1: before, Brett comes from private equity, but it was actually in the car industry. When we moved over to Beijing, it was with a group of investors to buy car dealerships in Northern China. So I say that because it was truly his idea to buy our first sprinter van. So they're the big, long, tall sprinter vans is what they are. And we call them the Buru bus because I love alliteration. And so they're not school buses or anything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Is it more like a Winnebago? It's more like a... a
1: So on the inside, they look like stores. They have hardwood floors and beautiful lucite racks, and they're really bright white and shiny and we bought the first one because we went and did a pop-up in birmingham and we rented a u-haul and when we got there of course all the racks had fallen over and there were clothes everywhere And though we sold a lot of things brett said okay nope (laughs) i'm not doing that exact plan again (laughs) and so we he reached out to a buddy who is the largest seller of sprinters in the country and we got our first one we now have four Um, We have one as a family that's upfitted a little bit differently to accommodate the three kids, has a smaller store section, larger human section. But Mm -hmm. for the most part, the other three, which are based in Tampa, um, so you it covers all Florida and the lower south, one in Nashville that covers the southeast, and one in Austin, Texas, which covers Texas, Oklahoma. And they pop up. Um, They'll pop up in stores. They pop up in homes for private shopping parties. And it is truly our way to... grassroots efforts to be where our customer wants us to be and to let her touch and feel and try on and shop with her friends if she wants there's no charge to have the guru bus at your house um it's it's our way of getting out there in the world as a direct-to-consumer brand so that we're not just digital that we are also hands-on and we get to meet our customers and i learn when i do the pop-ups when i'm there myself i learn more you know, watching five women try on, and I think, oh, that zipper's not in the right place, or, oh, that needs an inch through the boobs, especially because I have no boobs anymore. I'm like, oops. <laughs> like that. I wasn't accommodating for nice tatas. I was accommodating for sad little flat ones. And it's just, it's one of my favorite parts about the business. It's definitely, yeah. you know, a, a different approach Um, but it allows us to partner with so many other female owned businesses, whether it be stores or other brands. We pop up so so often with Mignon Gavigan. We have this really fun one with Swan Beauty coming up in Lexington. And we're about to pop to Charleston, Charlotte with Hatch, the maternity line based out of New York. So it's those, the buses have been just that personal touch for
0: Buru and really helped us grow. I love that. I love that. Okay, one final question before I let you go: Any great mom life hacks for balancing work and life with three kids? Since we're going to air this podcast on Mother's Day, maybe your favorite life hack for balancing momming and working and life?
1: Okay, I kind of have like a handful of these. Um, (laughs) I don't cook, and I don't feel guilty about it. (laughs) So. That's just sort of in general. Whatever it is that you don't do, just don't feel guilty about it. Find a way to, I mean, obviously they eat, but I'm not like preparing some big fancy meal. So that's one. Find what it is that you don't want to do or what you're not good at it. Eliminate it and don't feel guilty. And then this one is really superficial, but I have found that it really works. And because we travel with our kids so much, I'm just going to throw it out there and hope that people like it. Our kids match every day when we travel by color and that is so when we return home all the laundry can be done almost every load is together so if they are all wearing red you know for a certain number of days and there's a whole load that's red and it's basically sorted before you even get home and then i also travel with all their clothes on hangers so and they're grouped together in outfits so when we get to a place you just plop it out of the suitcase hang it up and then it's done and when you i mean i don't know about you all but especially with our ages getting dressed and out the door i find to be really stressful and every day of my life i can't believe how long it takes i mean (laughs) we were solving (laughs) world peace or world hunger (laughs) just to get out the door and so that tiny thing and it does you know it takes me a little longer to pack but now i have it down to a science Uh Um, but it is a hack that if you want to travel with kids it makes it so much more enjoyable less stressful when you get there and not so intimidating to think about planning another trip because i think the gift of travel with your kids is just one of the best things you can do we're very big into experiences over things so
0: I love that like I love I still that. like jewelry. <laughs> <laughs> just well, hey, a girl's got to live. I mean, <laughs> let's get real. Yeah. <laughs> Morgan, I mean, what what a treat and what a joy to spend time with you today. I know folks listening are really going to love this conversation. And I am so grateful to have spent the time with you and that you shared so authentically your story. You are amazing. You are really an inspiration. I really appreciate it.
1: Well, that also applies to you. I love how you're just featuring and empowering and lifting women up. I think it's so incredible. And I'm so honored to be among the incredible women you've had on your podcast already.
0: Thank you. Really appreciate it. Friend, thanks so much for joining me today for this conversation with the amazing Morgan Hutchinson. I'd love to know what you thought about Morgan's perspective around trust and the connection that she makes with influence. I really, really loved that dimension of all of this. And I thought that her focus on trust also underscored so much of what we talk about in this conversation as it relates to connecting with our customer, being vulnerable, sharing uh, parts of our journeys that are really personal, how that can really help build that level of trust and connection with your customer, with your listener, with your follower, with your client, whatever the case may be. I'd love to know what you thought. And as always, I hope you found this investment of your time well worthwhile. I'd love to hear from you. So please send me some feedback. You can reach me via the contact link that I've included in the show notes for this episode. You can also leave a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening to this podcast. I would be really, really grateful. I love hearing from you. And I'm so glad to have you here on this journey with me. In the meantime, you take care, have a great week, and I'll talk to you again soon. She Said, She Said podcast is produced weekly by She Said, She Said Media.